everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, it's Jen Hatmaker. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. Glad you're here today. Glad you're here every week. Um, And I hope that you are loving this series as much as I am. This is my friend, Latasha Morrison, and she is a a reconciler and this very compelling voice in the fight for racial justice. In fact, Ebony Magazine recognized her as one of their 2017 Power 100 for her work as a community crusader. She is um, just a really special leader in our time. So she's at this point taken her message all around the country. I mean, enormous events, if gathering justice conference, youth specialties, catalysts, it just goes on and on, honestly. Um, and when I first saw her speak three or four years ago, I was like, I need to know you and I want to know you and I'm going to know you. <laughs> That's how I capture friends. It's very aggressive. Um, so Tasha is originally from North Carolina. She's got degrees in human development and business leadership. Um, but then she started working in churches in Atlanta and then here in Austin, actually. And you'll hear the story. But this this root of racial reconciliation took um, hold of her heart. And it has since become her entire life's work. And so she founded, she built this organization called Be the Bridge to inspire and equip people in racial reconciliation, all the work that it is required, which is a lot and it is hard. Um, so I am excited for you to hear her story today, how she developed, um, what she's doing now and how it's going to impact you because this is work that is useful to you and you can absolutely hook in at the end of this podcast to what she is doing. And so I'm so glad to welcome my friend Tasha Morrison to the show. Okay. I'm so happy to welcome to the show, my good friend, somebody that I really, really love, Latasha Morrison. Hi, sis. Hey, how you doing? I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here this morning. I know. I just love you for this series. When we started thinking about women who built it, I Mm -hmm. was like jumping up and down in my chair, like, wait, wait. Wait, I literally have a friend who is building bridges. Just seems like there's a billion stories about men who built it because there's a million men who built it. But it's just such a good, it's such a good time, such a good space to clear a little room for all the women who are building things too, like you. So I want to, I've told it, I've told the listeners um, a little bit about you. So they know something of your background here, but um, you know, you're involved in really, really important work, not just in the church, but in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, I've touched on be the bridge, but I would love for you to talk. Let's just kind of go back to the beginning of it. And this may have to go way back. <laughs> I'd love for you to take us back on sort of either the moment or maybe it was the season, um, uh-huh. that really moved you to become this, the champion that you are for right. like racial healing and racial equality and reconciliation within the church specifically. That's your, um, that's your, that's your niche. Mm-hmm. Um, can you sort of talk about where you were when you started thinking, dang, like, I think this is going to be a thing. I think the pattern started early on. I, I think if we, any of us, if we look at our childhood, we see, um, you know, just patterns that 
you know, that have been planted all along, you know, um, that brings you to the point where you are today. And I, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until after starting this work where I'm thinking like, how in the world did I end up here? Because, you know, as you know, if you know my story, I was reluctant, you know, um, know. in doing this because, um, I mean, who wants to talk about this in America? Like, you know, right. historically <laughs> people, yeah. we know, that talk about this, you know, that's um, right they were murdered or, you know, right. or blackballed or, hated. or, you know, or hated, you know, and so I like to be liked, you know what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> so, um, and so I think, you yeah. know, as I, I really felt when I, I've been a part of a, um, all African-American church, um, but this mm-hmm. African-American church was really different. It wasn't like as traditional as, um, some African-American churches. And when mm-hmm. I say that, I'll give you a little, you know, just, Okay. You know, the first thing you think of when you think about black church, people think of choir. We didn't have a choir like uh-huh. that. We had a praise right. team. So it was a little different. It was uh-huh. very progressive in that sense. Um, Got it. As, as style and stuff. And so um, so with that, you know, I always used to tell my team then I used to be over like everything from the cradle to the career because we would go into spaces like it would be all white spaces. We would go into mm-hmm. black spaces. I even spoke to a, you know, Korean youth group, you know, like we would go into into these spaces and I would feel comfortable because these are my people. Like we may not like the same things culturally, but I always looked at it. We're on the same team, you know? And so um, I used to always tell my team, I feel like we're like a bridge. Like, you know, we go into these spaces and we're like the only black people, you know? And so fast forward, you know, that several years um, later, um, I was having a difficult time, you know, although I grew up in a very diverse community because my father was in the military right? and um, my school was, um, you know, pretty much diverse. I mean, of course, it was like only 13 percent mm. uh, minority, but it felt very mm-hmm. that feels I mean, that's like the population. In this. It feels very diverse. Yeah, you know, in sense. Okay. And um And so, you know, having grown up in a very diverse environment and making the the choice after I left the African-American church to go work in a predominantly white church, um, my my time in Austin was different because this was the first time where um, not only was I working in a church, but my community was predominantly white. Um, The church was predominantly white and the city was predominantly white. And I didn't have any family. No family. I didn't. When I moved to Austin, I knew one person and Mm -hmm. they lived probably an hour away. (laughs) You know what's so funny, Tasha? Uh You're one of the first people that ever said that to me. So I've lived in tech. I've lived in Austin for uh, 18 years. Uh And um, I remember where I was sitting with you when you just said, there aren't any black people here. And I was like, wait, are you sure? Like, I think there are. I mean, it, it, because this is such a, it's not a white majority city. It's because it's, it, we're so Hispanic also. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not all the way across the board. It just, it's so embarrassing to say it. It had not occurred to me that there was a really small percentage of black people in Austin. And I mean, you said that and it's like a bomb exploded in my brain and I just, then I couldn't unknow it. And then I realized I dug a little and found out that you're right. Like Austin is seven to 8% black population, which is low. It's really low. It's declining. Some of it is the city of Austin, but a lot of the people have moved to the outskirts, but it's declined over the years where it wasn't 
always like that. So yeah. it's a growing city, but it's the only city where the mm-hmm. black population is also declining. You don't pay attention to it, but I was living in South Austin. So that particular mm. area that I was living in is white bread. White. So that was, yes. <laughs> so that was a thing. White bread with a side of rice. I just remember talking to my dad one day and I was driving home and I was like, oh my God, like dad, I, I don't think I've seen a black person all week (laughs) Mm, you know and I can remember going to the grocery store and you know that nod that we talk about the nod when you recognize someone you're like oh my god hello my people (laughs) my people hi following people around (laughs) in the store like I'm gonna go talk to them I'm gonna go talk to them I need to know their name I wonder if they're feeling the same way I'm feeling you know (laughs) so let me tell you the nod is for real the nod. And, then, and, and if you get the nod, don't ignore people that give you the nod. They're trying yes. to belong. They're trying to be, yes, you know, feel good. known, you know. So don't ignore people. Acknowledge people when yes. they give you the nod. <laughs> okay. Um, again, I'll never, ever think of the nod in any other way. They're like, oh my gosh, that person needs a friend. Let's yes. stop in the middle of the exactly. aisle and start talking. Exactly. Exactly. I started getting questions like, you know, and I can tell that the people that I, were work, that I was working with within the church, they really never worked worked with a person of, well, not a person of color, but I would say African-American. And then I would say African and American in sense that was not assimilated. So they've probably have worked with people, but maybe those people have, you know, would fit more into their cultural norms. Um, Uh And so, and there's a difference, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I know how to code switch or adapt in environments, you know, but, you know, I think it was the first time when you're seeing someone that, you know, sounds a different way. They like things that are different. The music that I list, listen to is different. You know, yeah. um, they come, you know, come into my office and all the pictures on my wall, maybe except for yeah. one or two, were of my God kids, you know, who are African-American also. I had always said that if, if the Lord was going to put me back on staff at a church, mm-hmm. I was going to speak speak, um, the things that I felt that he was calling me to speak. I was never going right. to sit quiet or silent again because of fear. Because of that, I would say things, you know, if, if you know, right. if something was said, you know, like, okay, let's talk about that a little bit. Or, mm-hmm. you know what, that comment right there sounds like you've never had a black friend and they're like, oh, well, mm-hmm. I haven't, <laughs> you know? And right. so yeah. those things just begin to really, um, have a discontent with me. And a lot of that started, a lot of my awakening with this started when Trayvon Martin uh, was murdered. And so for me, that was a turning point, I would say in my life that happened while I was in um, Atlanta, but it was still the the conversation and everything. The trial hadn't started. All that stuff happened while I was in Austin. And Mm -hmm. that was disturbing to me because I saw the two different worlds where we were not on the same page. We lived two different lives, mm-hmm. although we were supposed to be brothers and sisters. To say that a 16-year-old, you know, walking in a community um, because he didn't look like he belonged, somebody has mm-hmm. the right to stop him at gunpoint. You know, like, like yes. to me, that's like he doesn't have a right to be and to thrive mm-hmm. and to live, you know. And so mm-hmm. just seeing the opposite conversation yeah. on that was disturbing yes. um, to was. me and, and the narratives that have been created for um, African-Americans and, um, yes. you know, especially boys. Yes, yeah. especially boys, uh-huh. especially boys. And um, seeing the outcome where 
it didn't bother other people, like especially specifically the white people I was around, like it bothered me. And so um, I felt like I couldn't express, you know, what I was feeling um, in fear of it was going to make them uncomfortable or it's going to cause this controversy. And so that started the journey. And and some of that journey started online with discussing movies and stuff like that. So that was probably the beginning point to, to this, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it was entering into this um, white culture space where, you know, Mm -hmm. people did want to understand. They didn't know that they didn't understand. Exactly. You know? That I would have been firmly in that category a few years ago. Yeah. That would have been exactly me. Yeah. Trayvon was really important to me too. Um, just that, that was just almost like a, a stake in the ground. Yeah. I think for so many people who just went, we, this cannot be the truth that we are willing to stand by and say, this is okay. Yeah. And I felt embarrassed. Oh. You know? Yeah. I felt embarrassed because... This is the first time I'm recognizing this. I've been living in this suburban cult, you know, Mm -hmm. as an African-American, you know, that that hadn't been my experience. Like, Mm -hmm. but I've heard conversations, but, you know, it's not stuff that your parents talk about, your grandparents, their history. They don't talk about that a lot. I was embarrassed that I didn't know a lot of this narrative. That's really interesting, Tasha. I've never heard you say that. I... I assumed that you did, that you came into that sort of season of incredible, like public, you know, Trayvon was just so public and his story just had such reach. I mean, I for sure came into that, um, with blinders on, but I didn't realize, I I think I assumed that maybe this was part and parcel of what your family language was built around. No, no. I, Hmm. my parents did not speak on this a lot. Um, you know, it was more or less, you heard comments a little bit. Um, but Hmm. you know, my mom had, you know, friends of all different ethnicities. Um, Hmm. But you, I was still in this isolated box of, you know, majority of the people I was around was African-Americans. So you're, you're here in Austin, you're mm-hmm. on staff at a church in a largely white environment, mainly white environment. Um, Trayvon happens and this national conversation kind of catches fire and it becomes super clear, super fast that there are really polarized perspectives Mm -hmm. um, on, on his story and on his humanity. Um, and so something in you sort of starts solidifying something in you starts thinking, Oh my gosh, wait a minute. Like I'm uniquely positioned, um, to lead a conversation here. So what, what happened from there? How did you, how, how did you begin moving into what has now become your full-time work? And it's, it's so amazing. It started with movies. Um, mm. You know, 12 Years a Slave um, came out. Mm. I saw this movie and I was like, wow, it's interesting how my friends at church, they always want me to do things that they want to do, but nobody was really interested in doing the things that I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but then the thing is like, but I had to look at, was I really inviting them? It, to do it, mm. you know, and, mm. and was I really, did they know that that was important? So sometimes we can make assumptions about each other when I'm not That's really, good. you know, in being inclusive, you know, also because I have this little, I have this barrier up, 
you know, sure. also myself. And so I started, um, I started doing these online Google talks, like about 12 years a slave. I think I did some questions mm-hmm. about it and just wanted to really, I, I needed counseling after that movie, like for real. I had to, you know, decompress and I had a conversation online with several people and mm-hmm. that was so good for me. And then yeah. the same thing happened yeah. with Selma. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to invite some other people mm-hmm. to go to this movie with with me. Um, mm-hmm. and this time other people came, yeah. you know, um, um, white people came and black people mm-hmm. came and we yeah. decided to just have a conversation, you know, about the movie. After we watched the movie, we went to dinner and I just scripted some questions and we started. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning because it was so yeah. helpful because a lot of people, yeah. you know, they don't know what they don't know, you know, but the thing exactly is exactly right. Just because you don't know, it doesn't mean you have to stay there. And you don't know who to talk to. Exactly. Like who, who can I talk to about this? Who can I ask some questions? Um, who can I listen to? If that's not a very natural part of your community, if that's not what your friend circle looks like, then you just, people just get stuck. And I think that, um, and people just die there. Yeah. Just die in yeah. absolutely homogenous environments, having never really expanded their worldview or their friend circle or their influencers. And then because it's hard and we'll get to it, this work Mm -hmm. is not easy. It's hard work Mm -hmm. in every possible way. It's hard emotionally. It's hard spiritually. It's hard physically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think everybody knows that going in. I mean, you don't enter a conversation on racial equality and think, well, this is going to be a breeze. You know, like there's a fear Mm -hmm. and and an avoidance, I think, of tension. I think that's one of our biggest problems in the church, actually. Um, But you pressed in. You have people that are fearful because they know it's going to require change and they know it's going to require work and they don't want to do it. Yeah. You know? And so, but I was, I was sitting here with people who actually wanted to do the work and, um, so it started with that and just having conversations with my African-American friends. Like, basically, we got to have this conversation because we yes. want to survive and we want to thrive in the environments That's that we're right. in. And we want our children to live and mm-hmm. be able to play, be free to play, um, be free to exist. We don't want... Um, our kids to have to deal with maybe what our parents dealt with, our grandparents. Someone had invited me to this thing called um, IF. And I was like, what's IF? This is like 2014, maybe? Yeah, this was, yeah, this was 2013. yeah, 2014, the first mm-hmm. one, the first one that whenever yeah. the first one, but I remember on my way to this, um, a friend of mine, she was like, you know, you should go. And I was like, you know what, maybe I need to meet more people. So I was thinking the whole time, mm. oh, this will be a conference where I can yeah. meet more people of color. That's what I'm thinking, right. you know, exactly. in my head. No, it wasn't. And so on my way to the conference, I was like, wow, um, you know, Lord, you got to show me why you brought me yeah. to Austin. Like, you know, and I can, he was mm-hmm. actually showing me, I just wasn't listening or, or watching yeah. or seeing, right. you know, and I remember I'm um, just as clear, you know, it was like, you know, girl, I brought you here to be a bridge. And it would go, went back mm-hmm. to that same word that That's I right. used to use when I was in, in Atlanta. Um, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, there was like this, this piece that, really came over me like mm. because there was a sense of purpose to why I was here. You know what? When I go to this conference, I'm going to meet all mm. the people of color. I'm well, you did. All, all four of them. <laughs> or three? Was it three? How 
Let me. Re- it was probably about six or seven people. Yeah, it may in have the been, whole it may have been ten room. people there out of three thousand. It may have been ten. Yeah, and um, yes. and I remember looking. I was like, man, like there's a lot of. Um, um, Latinas in um, in Austin, but yeah. they're not here either. So no. I was like, but even my Latina no. sisters are not here. And then you're always gonna see. I mean, it was not yeah. even. I was like, okay, my Asian American sisters, where you are? Where are you? You're not yeah. even representing. You know, like what's going on? <laughs> and so went to this conference, met some people there, exchanged information. Um, it was yeah. it was. I enjoyed the conference, you know. Um, but you yeah. still felt like gosh, like, why are all Christian environments like this? It was, it took me days to process that. And I think that was that, that discontent moment, what I call my holy discontent, where I could not shake it. Like, wow, all this disconnect and tension, um, racial tension Mm -hmm. going on in the world and the church, we cannot even be an answer because we can't even be in the same room together. You know, and so at that point I was like, I wanted to meet um, the African-American women that were there because I'm telling you, and yeah. that's who I saw. And so for me, I, mm-hmm. I was attracted to someone that was like me, you know? And so I exchanged right. names and then I followed up like a couple of days later, followed yep. up with um, some of these ladies. Uh, one of the yep. ladies name was Kim um, Patton. Um, and then another lady was Susan. Um, and then, um, another lady was named Ryan. And I remember, um, it was just a young group of girls and it was a lot of them. And so, and because I was looking for just community, um, they were yeah. attracted to me and then, um, met these ladies. We decided to meet for lunch and we just had this conversation about, um, you know, just about diversity within the church, you know, yeah. they, they, you know, they all had their own stories about, um, you know, on their journey. So we just had this great conversation, like why, you know, why is it like this? You know, but that meeting, one of the ladies there, she actually knew, um, Jenny personally. And um, another lady at my church, she asked me, you know, what did you think about the conference? And I told her and I just talked about the Mm -hmm. lack of diversity. And she said, well, you know, Jenny is really open to listening. You know, I need to Mm -hmm. schedule a lunch. Um, You really need to meet her. I've told her about Mm -hmm. you. I want you to meet her. And um, Mm -hmm. that's kind of like how it started. And that yeah. Jenny met with us and she came, it was like, you know, it was just about four black women and this little white yeah. lady came in there <laughs> <laughs> and met with us. And, um, yeah. you know, and, you know, we were just really honest. And yeah. then I found out that she had adopted um, yeah. and she had you know, friends that had adopted and, um, I started making the connection. So we, um, we had this conversation and our, one of our friends, she actually had an organization, um, that dealt with restorative justice within the schools. Mm-hmm. And she thought that, oh, wow. you know, um, that we should have conversations, um, but based off this model of restorative justice, and um and so learning about that that process and how we could have conversations and listen to each other um so we decided to use that model and so we came up with questions and then out of this you know I just started like we didn't have a plan but we just started meeting right. Jenny invited some of her friends and um we mm-hmm. invited some of our friends and um uh, we just started having these conversations and then Ferguson happened 
That's right. Yeah. We were we were meeting for about four months before Ferguson happened. Wow. And so that conversation was obviously an enormous catalyst for bigger and more important conversations. And and, it, and that's tricky there in that space because you'd barely developed any roots, you know, between each other. That's a, that's pretty short amount of time. One of the things that we said we were going to meet and talk, um, but we were also going to do social events together and um, like go out to you know, happy hour and do things like that. But I didn't know them at all. But um, right. one of the things that I had to like deal with personally was, you know, like I'm in this room and I'm like, I don't trust y'all. You know, I don't, I don't trust that you're going to yeah. be here. I don't trust that you're going to show up because you have a choice. You have a choice whether you care about this um, today and whether it's on your mind today and whether it's not on your mind. You know, and right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't trust your commitment. Um, and I was proven wrong, hmm. you know, um, hmm. you know, hmm. um, a lot of the ladies, they made it a priority. And then when I started hmm. finding out, we didn't talk about what we did, our roles hmm. or, you know, what we did in life. None of that was discussed. Hmm. Um, but then it, later on, as you find out that one lady was running noonday, you know, and you're hmm. like, yeah. And she was showing up and, yeah. and I was like, wow, they do care, you know? And yeah. I remember, um, just some hard conversations we had about, you know, just assumptions and stereotypes that, um, we, we personally have. And, um, That's when good. we were telling our stories and I just remember a lot of them, you know, crying and I was like, wow, they had never heard this before. Like they didn't know mm-hmm. we couldn't, you know, that we couldn't go to the stores, yes. you know, like, but hearing exactly. our friend Regina tell her story, you know, Regina was, was in her fifties, but talk about, you know, how she went to go get her mother, a mother's day gift, her and her sisters took the, the bus into, to, to Austin. Um, mm. to, you know, to downtown Allison to shop at a store yeah. and basically was escorted out the store. And she's mm. recounting this. She was a little girl at the time, but she yeah. remembers this. And they're, they're hearing their story because this is someone live and in person and in flesh where, you know, we think this these things happened 100 years ago where I'm only exactly. one generation removed from that. Like, exactly. that's my dad's story. No, that's right. You know, that's right. So I think that's that right. My mom's high school was desegregated her sophomore year. Right. That's my mom. Yeah. I remember, of course, all of this in real time. Mm-hmm. And so this group, it became strong and rooted and healthy. And I think probably showed everybody involved the potential, yeah. um, the powerful p- potential of what it looks like to come together mm-hmm. um, across all sorts of racial lines and just dive in, dive into the hard things, um, ha- you know, have the conversations, tell the truth. And the fruit of it was just so obvious and it was so um, powerful and strong. And so the very next year, at that same conference, a year later, you are on the stage. You are. That's what happens. That that's is how this so went. Crazy, you know. Like I know. I mean, the whole thing, and I'm still because we didn't know what we were doing. We were just having a conversation, and um, in that, you know, it was like the leader in me also making sure that things were staying on track and we had questions, you know, that part of me started coming out. And so, um, you know, Jenny, you know, asked me, Hey, you know, this has been great. You know, I would love 
to help other people do this, you know, but we didn't really know what we were doing. So I'm like, well, how are we going to help other people? And, but in, but in, in the meantime, I had actually been working on just this process that I felt we had been going through. And there was just these words that I felt God had given me. And, um, I was kind of working through this process. And, and I mean, I was like dreaming about this stuff, researching all this stuff. And I didn't know where this was coming from. And I remember, um, you know, she, she, she said, can you put together just like a little guide or something just to help people have the conversation? And I was like, okay, you know, and, but Mm -hmm. then this process had been in me and I just kind of just laid it out and it was more than a guide, you know, at that point, but I just kind of laid it out. And then she said, you know, um, I guess it was more than what she even expected. And she was like, you know, I think we should model this. Like, I think we should model this. And I was like, I think you should model it. I am not going to put me on stage in front of you know, all these white people to talk about race. Now I'll talk about race with black people, but I'm not going to talk about this in a big form like that. No. Right. Especially when it was kind of half baked at that point. I mean, it's not like you had a super developed curriculum. (laughs) And so eventually, and this was only like a month before the conference too. Now, of course, I was just going to (laughs) say, now, you know, this, but that's just what it's like to be Jenny's friend. Like, you know, that now, like she'll just, She'll put you on the stage the day before. No, no, but let me tell you, she was like, you know what? I am going to make sure, like, I'll introduce it. You know, she said, it doesn't, this needs to come from a person of color. You have to lead this. Like, you have to lead us in this. This is not something for me to lead. I don't know how to lead this. And, you know, and I'm thinking like, yeah, you sure don't. But, you know, I don't want to do it either. (laughs) (laughs) Send somebody else, Lord, you're Moses. Send Jenny like, and if you, I didn't know Jenny, like, but now that I know her, I was like, oh my right. God, you set me up so good, you know, but she was like, totally. you know, I am going to make sure that I introduce you. I will like yeah. endorse you and like turn it over to you. And I'm like, okay, yeah. like, cause this is her stage. This is her space. And so I remember, right. you know, we worked on these questions. We had these people, some of the people that were in our group, and then we brought in other people that were not yeah. a part of our conversation um, and that, you know in our original group. Um, and so we had this conversation and I remember getting ready to go on the stage and I'm like, where's Jenny? And I remember Brooke Mm -hmm. looking at me and she said, I will never forget those words. (laughs) She said, Jenny said, you have it. Uh, (laughs) So classic. (laughs) I'm just thinking, I'm like, this lady, did she just leave me hanging? And she looked at me and she saw I looked like a deer in headlights. So she said, you want me to go get Jenny? I was like, uh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess she goes out. But it's like, we're in line already mic'd about to go out. And I'm thinking like, oh. Goodness, I am not going to look like a fool in front of these people. I better come up with an opener or something, you know, because I don't think she's going to get back in time. And I say, okay, because okay was, I got to do this. Like, it's on me now. Like, you know, okay, God, you got to show up. Because I hadn't practiced an opener. Like, we had practiced the questions, but I didn't practice an opener on how to open this up. Yeah. And just for everybody listening who doesn't know the conference, not only was it in a live setting with like 
two or 3,000 people, but it's also being live streamed literally around the world. <laughs> and you see, I didn't realize that, you, you know, but you know, I didn't realize that, right? I didn't realize that until like after the fact, because I probably would have like froze. I, I was <laughs> okay. just thinking the people that were there. Okay. And that's why I didn't understand like, okay, how did so many people download the guide? Because there wasn't that many people there, but oh, it was streamed. Exactly. And so, exactly. but yeah, so I, um, and I kind of knew it because I, I was backstage, but it, it didn't connect. Like right. it wasn't connecting how big this thing was, you know, but I started out with that. And that's why I started out with the scripture. Yes. That was none of that was yeah. planned. Yeah. So at this point, you you kind of roll out your vision as it developed as it was at that point. Um, and you've got this pretty skeletal discussion guide. Uh, I think uh-huh. I still have it saved on my laptop. Um, <laughs> the original one, yeah. It was, it resonated. I mean, it really did. It, uh, you know, I don't know how many times I've told you this, a million, but you're the right person for this. Like uh, you are, you're uniquely anointed for this work. Um, and the way that you are, you are so accessible and you have this abundance of graciousness. It actually drives me crazy as I've told you. Um, Cause sometimes I just want to get mad and you're being nice. And I'm like, gosh, it's so frustrating how nice you are. Um, but you, I get you know, mad. I do. I, you you get mad privately, but I'm like, let's, let's yeah. throw down. Let's let's get in a fight. And you're just so patient. It's so aggravating. But but um, you know that's just a, that is a that is truly who I am. Like, I know those it is. Who know me, it's like I don't have to try. Like that's who I am. I like know. even in my family. Like and my family's the total opposite of me. My point is that. Um, I can see exactly and precisely why God chose you for the for this work at this scale because yeah. uh, with so many white people under your leadership, you didn't get that original version you wanted of just being a bridge to other black people. Sorry, that didn't work no. out. That um, didn't work but out. With right? so many white people under your leadership that are all along the spectrum of the work. Um, some that are at the very beginning, which is the worst, it's literally the worst. That's where I get the maddest and you're the nicest. Um, even though I was that person, I was absolutely that person, but now I, uh-huh. I just struggle. Um, and somewhere. See, but you give me hope when I hear your you story. Me, what did I tell yeah, you? I told you, give you me like hope. a couple years ago, I'm like, you are my pastor. You are pastoring <laughs> me through this work. And I cannot think of a better leader to come under and learn from. And I have learned so much from you. I, I, I mean, I, I really can't even quantify it. I can't even explain how much God has changed my heart on this wow. specific space because of you and because of your work and not just that, but the whole community that you have created. Um, and then you've, you've, it's, we're able to duplicate it. Hey guys, quick break from the show. I'm super excited to tell you about our sponsor for the women who built it series. So many thanks goes to none other than a company I love, Ever Eve. 
co-founded by Megan Tamty, who's also the co-CEO of the company. She was a guest on our podcast just a few months ago. So I'll tell you, for me personally, Everave has been a game changer for my personal style. I know a lot of you can probably relate just between the craziness of schedules in life, like career and kids and social obligations. I wasn't giving much time to my wardrobe and also I'm not that great at it. I need help in that department. And so as a result, I wasn't feeling really good about what I was wearing or how it was fitting or anything. So that is where Evereve came in. They gave me a ton of encouragement, um, not only to embrace some different looks that pushed me a little bit, um, but also to work with clothes that complement my body um, and sort of my style. Uh, Evereve, you guys, has over 85 stores coast to coast. A a super great website, um, and a personal styling box service called Trendsend, which for those of us non-shoppers comes right to your doorstep. <laughs> so listen, everybody is different, but I know for me, having some help in the fashion department gave me a little extra shot of confidence. So you guys, you can check them all out at evereve.com. And once again, Evereve, thank you for sponsoring this amazing series. I've been in my own Be The Bridge group for, heck, three years oh, wow. at this point, I think. Yeah. And they're coming over yeah. to my porch on Tuesday. You know, we're yeah. beautifully, like, <laughs> so beyond the kind of awkward, socially awkward early beginnings. We're like, who wants to come over for wine and hummus? <laughs> now everybody's just coming over. But your group has just, I mean, I just... I mean, thinking about even one of the ladies that joined your group a little bit later. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah, just just seeing her, even as an African American, how her life has been transformed. Because it's not this this is this conversation is not just for for white people or Latino people yeah. or Asian American people or Native people, yeah. but you know, this African American, she lived in this bubble and was like, oh, I, she was disconnected uh-huh. from what you would say, the, 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 um, the fight in a sense, you know, and, and, you know, what the the problems, like where she saw them, but she did, she chose not to recognize it, you know? And so I'm just seeing her journey and what she's doing now. And the conversations that I have with her is so, you know, encouraging because starting this workout, you're thinking like, this is going to be helpful. You know, you're thinking like, okay, this is going to help white people. You know, but realizing right. that this is helping so many people that's and, you right. know, and that's just my heart to, you know, people, people, like people are my heart. I know, you know? I so. know that's your heart. Explain to everybody listening now, because at this point, Be The Bridge is so much more wonderfully developed and um, it is replicable and it is, it's got a lot deeper roots than originally when you kind of stood on stage with a pamphlet. Yeah. I had no idea of creating an organization, but we had to create the organization yeah. out of the need. And That's so, right. you know, and so I didn't know what I was doing. And so, you know, each year we're learning what to do. And so, you know, with this year, you know, I know that, you know, Be The Bridge in 2018 is going to look different than 2017. And it's going to, you know, we have actual strategic buckets that we're working on this year. Um, I only started doing this full time in July up until from 2014 to now I was on staff at a church full time. And then I I knew one of them was going to have to go either breathe the bridge was going to have to go so that I could have my sanity and, um, and sleep. 
or either the the job at church was going to go have to go. And so um, I took a leap of faith in July and stepped out and to do this full time, yeah, you, you know? Sure and so um, that's how much I, be- I believe in it. And I believe in the work that, um, that I've been called to do and how I believe in people. I have to put like, like yeah. I have to have hope in this because if not, I would say there's no hope and I'm not leaving my job and my yeah. health insurance and right. <laughs> my stability yes. to go try to struggle and make this happen you know, totally. I can't do this. I believe in you you too. I really do. And I've always believed that this was going to be your work uh, in a full-time capacity. And then it was going to exceed like your wildest imagination. You have, you have always been that voice. Like, yes. And it's so funny how God would use the very people, like all the people around me, like the people who really encouraged me through this yourself. And like, like, like this is like reaffirming um this call on my life um it's all of it has been white women you mm, know it's um, interesting you know because most black women in their right minds going to say run girl run <laughs> don't you can't trust those white women. They'll turn but, on you. you know, I do. But I knew, I knew, but God used these voices around me. Um, and when I think about a lot of the people who are lifting up my hands and holding mm-hmm. up my hands and, you know, it has been white women. Mm-hmm. So though, that's the personal work that has been done in my own heart, wow. um, you know, where I can say, you know, um, I can't generalize a whole group of people, you know, yeah. um, you know, based off of some experiences, you know, that, that was my grandmother's experience. Um, mm-hmm. That was what she saw and that was her lived experience. So it created that, um, that um, prejudice, that mm-hmm. assumption and that stereotype that she had. But for me, what God has done is he's countered that mm-hmm. with all these other women and stories, these beautiful, you know, white sisters that I have now that, you know, that, I know that have my back and that I fully trust. That's just making me sob. Um, So tell everybody, like at this point, let's say somebody's listening and Uh this is, this is a discussion they want to find a way to enter. Like this is a burden in their heart. This is something they're paying attention to in the news and in culture and um, in our neighborhoods and schools, definitely in our churches. And they care and they are at the starting point. Like they're at the beginning where they're like, I literally do not even know how to open this can up. So um, what would you tell them what be the bridge can offer them and, and specifically like what you put into their hands um, to begin building this space? Because listen, everybody listening, this is um, the bulk of this work is it's people led, like all in the world. It is are regular, ordinary people saying, I care about this and I want to learn more. And I would love to somehow also build a bridge in my neighborhood, in my community. Um, I would love to bring together other women who are racially different from one another and learn from each other. And so that's literally where it starts. This is, you're not, you're not waiting on a leader. You're not waiting on some hero to step in and say, I'm going to be in charge of this in your life. Like this is literally accessible to you um, to be the beginning, to be the starting point of this exact work in your life and in your circle. So Tasha, tell them kind of a little bit what Be the Bridge can offer them. 
Yeah, I think it's it offers you an on ramp to the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of um, things that are out there. I think we just have our piece that God has given us in it, um, and it's like the one on one, two on one version. Um, so it's an on ramp to this conversation where the you know you're at a place of awareness where you see the brokenness in our society, you see the tension, and yeah. you're at a point where hey, I want to listen because that's the the greatest mm-hmm. thing that you can have coming into this um, <clears throat> this work is you have to be able to listen to people of color. Right. If you're if you're not ready to listen to people of color, then you're not ready for this conversation. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make it where it's it's not so um, so difficult for a lay person or just mm-hmm. any ordinary person to be able to pick this up and, right. and and run with it. So we wanted to make it grassroots where it could be done outside of the church with the capital mm-hmm. C church, where it doesn't mm-hmm. take a church walls That's to good. initiate the conversation, but yeah. you can initiate this with some girlfriends and um, with your community or with your sorority sisters or whoever, you know? And so we have a version, uh, we have one starting pre-work version called whiteness one one Um, no, we weren't creative with the name. It is what it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but we have another one. We have a uh, uh, people of color, um, uh, one-on-one coming out this year too. So there's oh, yeah. some stuff we're working on. But we have whiteness one-on-one, and that really deals with some areas that I think that in doing this work, um, there's about four to five areas. If we, if white people can understand this, then this will help you do the rest of this work to, so to get into a group um, better. You know, So this yeah. will uh, give you the tools that you need in order to do this work more efficiently so um, because good. it's going to work. It's going to, it's going to, I mean, this is difficult work and it's going right. to, it's going to, challenge your mm-hmm. worldviews, your belief sure. system, the lenses that you're you're seeing through, it's going to challenge a lot. So we we recommend that people do this pre-work called Whiteness 101. Um, and then the yeah. great thing about it is that some of our friends um, in this work, um, other people that are doing this work, they've written books. Like So we can recommend yeah. books to start with. Um, and then from there, we recommend you know getting in a um, Be The Bridge group. Now, we don't, this is the thing, Be The Bridge is not a chapter. So it's not chapters. Mm-hmm. People start groups. You have to start a group. Yeah. And so if you want to be in a group, it's about starting a group or finding that's a group right. that's starting um, that's in good. your area. And this is to be in what we recommend that is led by a person of color and it yes. can have a um, white person as a co-lead. And I think that's what you did, Jen. You know, you wanted mm-hmm. to start a group and you found uh, a person of color um, yeah. to lead it. She's 23. She's 23 years old. Like, nope, you're doing this. <laughs> Yeah, we don't care. You're our leader. You don't get to say no. You got to come outside of your comfort zone. You know, um, are there people in your church now that would want to have this conversation? Um, You know, and and, and one lady, I told her to visit, you know, churches, to to visit grocery stores, to go different places and start expanding her her wheelhouse, like start expanding her friendship circle and and what she did so that she could meet other women. And that's what she did. You know, I I was telling Mm -hmm. her this and I'm thinking like, she's not gonna do it she's right. not gonna do it right. five months later five to six months later yeah. she sends me a picture hmm. and this lady went from not having any friends of friends color of she color. had just moved to a, um, a area um she did everything that i told her she went to this church hmm. um met 
these ladies at the church told them about her vision, what she wanted. She, you know, and, and the next thing I know, they're sending me five to six months later, Hmm. a picture of her, of their meeting in her backyard. And it's like all these women of color there. And I'm like, wow. You know? And so that's one side of the story, but then some people are still trying to find um, those people of color, but they're doing the work. So just because you're not in a group, Mm. it doesn't mean that you're not reading books. You're not listening. We have an online community um, of about, it started out with 69 people, um, Jen, and this because we weren't an organization when we first started um, at IF. Um, And so I didn't have a website. I mean, the guide had to totally. be hosted on the IF website for over uh-huh. a year. Um, yeah. And so the only thing I knew to do was start a group within Facebook where yeah. um, if people had questions af- after the conference, that here was a place uh-huh. where they could go. And so I started it maybe a month before the conference, 69 people, um, just yeah. people. Some of my friends I added to the group and people sure. I knew and started posting articles. And now the group is at 17,000. It's just crazy. And this is 17,000 vetted. Now, we we vet yes. people because every exactly. once in a while we get trolls, you know, whatever. Yeah. But the, you have to answer questions. People look at your yeah. page. And you have rules. We have which rules. Are Facebook has helped us. Like, we got attention from Facebook to the point where we're a part of a conversation that's happening how to make groups yeah. better. You know, and so questions we used to send questions before they had it implemented in their process to ask people questions before they joined their group. We would inbox people questions that they would have to answer. (laughs) Yes. And and that's really important for the because that space needed to be um, safe. So we do have the online space where you can begin now. It's not easy. It's not an easy space because it's online. Um, And right now we're just in a political climate where things are, the tensions are high. Um, People are upset. People are angry. People are sad. People are lamenting. Um, And then there's some people that are happy and some people that are celebrating. And so you have these, and then you have people from different theological backgrounds. We have people that, um, that um, are, you know, people of faith, and we have people that are a little further from um, from Jesus, you know, and yeah. that's okay. Everybody's welcome into this conversation, but we're dictating how we have the conversation. It's so good. Um, it's so powerful. And I've watched it. It's, I don't, I don't even say this word lightly, but it's just, it's transformative. And um, I, I don't know if, I don't know what you would say to this, but in my experience, for people um, who come in very, very green to this um, to to this conversation, who are at the starting line, but they're serious about it. So it's right. not just a whim, or you know, it's not a passing fancy. You're doing the personal internal work. You are learning. Mm-hmm. You're educating. You're listening. Mm-hmm. You're building your own friend network. It it seems like it t- still takes, even at that sort of commitment level, about a year um, yeah. until you have sort of moved through the phases. Like as a white person, the phases are so painful. It's like defensive Mm -hmm. denial, um, a combative. I mean, there's just all the, cause you're right. It stirs within you like a Mm -hmm. shame and, Mm -hmm. and, and it requires humility. And those are just not our best qualities. You know, we're not good at humility. We are better at pride. Um, and so it, it, that sort of, 
deep, deep spiritual work is important and it's required. But by the end, when you spit somebody out about a year later, having really, really kept their foot on the gas, it is amazing. I mean, really amazing. The amount of knowledge, even just knowledge, we could just stop right there. Just what you learn historically and culturally. I mean, this is, this is not invented. You know, we've Mm -hmm. got thousands of authors and teachers telling us, um, everything we need to know here, but, but then also like deeply spiritually and the way that we are connected, it's powerful. And it's worked in my heart and in my life, it's changed my life. Um, and I've seen it change the lives of the people around me and it is important, Tasha. And I'm so grateful that you said yes to it kind of reluctantly, like, and that everybody (laughs) just shoved you into it and you just had to do it. There was no other option, but, um, what you have built is really powerful and it's very profound and it has the potential to begin in partnership with so much, so many other bridge builders and advocates, um, mm-hmm. to heal, to heal us, yeah. to heal yeah. what is so broken among us, inside us, between us, um, that these tools are tangible and they change hearts. And so I am so happy to put you in front of all these people listening right now. I want them to know that you are a trustworthy leader that you are, you have so much integrity. Your faith is profoundly true. Um, you are kind and good hearted. You're generous and gracious in ways that I will never, ever, ever touch in all my days. Um, and, and that you are a wonderful leader in this time. And I think your legacy is going to be great. And I think it's going to be greater than you can imagine. And the work that you have unleashed into specifically our church culture, which is in such dire need of gospel transformation um, on, on racial healing is just enormously important. And so I'm just really proud of you. And I'm, I'm so glad to be your friend and your sister. And you know that at every point along your journey here, I'm like standing ovation, cheering you on, pushing you (laughs) on (laughs) Um, and thrilled about it. So thank you for being such a good teacher to me and such a mentor to me and patient with me. I can't even imagine some of the things I said to you at the beginning. So thank you for forgiving me um, for some of that early dumb, dumb ignorance. Um, But I just feel like I have in so many ways flourished under your leadership and I'm not the only one. So we're going to wrap it up here with three quick questions. This is rapid fire. So you just don't even worry about it. You just tell me the first thing comes to mind and it's just fine if it's, not even deep and wise and wonderful. It can be funny. I don't care. All right. So here's the first one. Who's somebody in your life who makes you a better person and a better leader right now? My, my best friend, you know, um, you know, because, you know, because really, you know, it's that, that close friend that knows you, you know, and that knows everything about you and that knows like, okay, are you resting, you know, or, and Mm -hmm. challenging you. Um, because you know, there's this thing, you know, as a leader, sometimes the, this, that could be a lonely place. Um, and it could be a place where you have to put on these, um, brave and courageous shoulders a lot. Um, you know, but when things are happening in your personal life or things that are going on, like, you know, it's not like you can talk about that stuff with anyone, but you can talk about those things with your, your friends. So I think, um, 
that's um, someone. As someone in leadership, do you consider yourself to be a good follower? And how does that like affect what kind of leader you are? Yeah, I I do consider myself yeah. to be a good follower. And you that's are. the way, the reason I lead the way I lead is because yeah. I want people to be able to follow. I want to be that leader that I desire to have in times in my life that I didn't have, you know? Um, yeah. So I want to be that person. So I want people to feel like they're part of a team and that they have a voice and that their voice matters. Um, yeah. And they, they have, they can give input. I love to pull out um, the gifts that I see in people. Yeah, I love to push you. people forward. But the thing is, you know what? Your gifts make room for you. And the same mm. way I, I hold this stuff with such open hands and such yeah. surrender that you know, that God is in control. And if we know that God is in control, we know that whatever he has for me, he's going to do that. And someone else is not going to take away from that. So good. It can be really meaningful or it can be the silliest thing you ever said. So, um, it's just whatever comes to your mind. So it's this, what's saving your life right now? I think the thing that's saving, um, my life right now is prayer. Mm, I mean, just to, I mean, I'm just going to be honest now. That's, that's, that's the churchy answer prayer. (laughs) But the other thing is, I'm just not going to lie. It's like, I, I like to be silly. You know, (laughs) I like to joke. Um, I, you know, so right now when things are really tough, the thing that's helping save me from like just cursing and going off the rails (laughs) Yes. The rails is, you know, watching the voice. <laughs> you oh have gosh. to have fun. And so I'm trying to make sure I have fun. Um, yes. You know, yep. and I like the voice because, I mean, I love Alicia Keys. And right now they have Kelly Clarkson on there. And she yep. hilarious. Like Kelly She's is hilarious. giving me life right now. <laughs> like I want <laughs> to have coffee with her. Like for real, she's giving me life right now. All right. Tell everybody where, um, where they can find you, um, where to look for you. And we'll have all this linked on my website. Yeah. So, um, you can find right now, um, my website is being revamped. Um, but you can find stories and uh, stuff about be the bridge at be a bridge builder.com or either be the bridge.com. Um, I'm on social media as, um, Latasha Morrison, although I go by Tasha, um, but you can find my, um, Facebook is Tasha Morrison. My Instagram is Latasha Morrison and my Twitter is also Latasha Morrison, but you can follow, um, be the bridge at all those places too. um, be at be a bridge builder. So that's perfect. And guys, we'll have all of that for you. Like if you couldn't write that down fast enough, we will link over to every single one of those accounts and websites. Don't you worry about it. I want to tell you and everybody else. Thanks for listening today, you guys. Um, and thank you for being on. That's my girl. That's my girl, Tasha. I love her so much. She is so special, powerful, smart. Women inspire me and I'm drawn to them so much. And so I think that's why I'm loving for the love of women who built it so very much. Um, I just, I'm so moved and energized and inspired listening to these women who have built 
fantastic companies and organizations and ministries and they're gritty and they're hard workers and they didn't take no for an answer. And it's just, it's, these are such phenomenal conversations today included. Thank you to Tasha for being my friend, for being my guest today. Um, as always, all this information is over on the transcript on my website, jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, you will see everything we talked about, um, and, and bonus content from there. So you guys, thanks for being here. Um, love you. Love my listeners so much. Love this podcast community. It is my favorite thing on earth. See you next week. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.